0: Welcome back. David Penn here, the Professor Penn Podcast, episode number 71. Glad you're back. Making relationships with many of you, which I appreciate. I've got my detractors working on me on social media, which I enjoy communicating with them, and I've got my supporters, and I need your support. Thank you very much. We had a a really great uh, family and friends this past Friday night, uh, I did it with Royce. I thought that was a pretty um, good dialogue, and we're going to keep that up. I, I'm i reading in the live chat that uh, people want Royce and I on regular, and they'd like us to start to operationalize Hebrews, and uh, we're learning how to broadcast together, and uh, I'm, I'm interested in doing it. It's a lot of fun. But I do want to say... Um, I get up in the morning quite early to do these. We record about 7 o'clock in the morning. for posting in the evening. And um, I've given up several days a week my normal routine. Um, and then my, ho- my, my, my whole morning routine has kind of just devolved. And when I say my morning routine, I've been getting up since I've been a very young person and praying and training. And now I find myself, instead of going into my special place where I do my special things. In the morning, I find myself sitting at the kitchen table and studying and preparing to talk with you because that is, in my estimation, the most important thing I'm doing right now. I I view this as a responsibility and an opportunity, and I, I try to be prepared as much as I can be to say something that is, you know, at least novel. I want I don't want to just be a puppet and a parrot up here I want to come up with new ideas and that takes work takes creativity so I'm gonna do this first because I I need it for myself blessed are you God and King of all worlds thank you for creating the light and the dark blessed are you God and King of all worlds thank you for creating me in your image blessed are you God and King of all worlds thank you for making me an American Blessed are you God and king of all worlds. Thank you for making me free. Blessed are you God and king of all worlds. Thank you for healing the blind. Blessed are you God and king of all worlds. Thank you for feeding the people. Blessed are you God and king of all worlds. Thank you for releasing the bound. Blessed are you God and king of all worlds. Thank you for raising up the downtrodden. Blessed are you God and king of all worlds. Thank you for the heavens and the earth. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for providing for all my needs. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for our American courage. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for crowning America with glory. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for restoring strength to the weary. And please let me add, blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for being one with the people. Blessed are you, God, and King of all worlds. Thank you for giving me the strength to pursue my relationship with you. you know, I'm working on these prayers, and I'm going to say this because it's, it's the essence of faith. Whatsoever I wish for when I pray, I believe I've received it and I shall have it. And I'm trying to work with myself constantly to up my ante here because we're living in such difficult times. But there's much to be thankful for. I want to thank Free People Radio for providing uh, the Professor Penn Podcast with this venue, this platform, to work on this community, to build this community with you. We're a political action community. Free People Radio is truth-seeking media, truth-seeking. We're not here to, you know, just regurgitate a narrative. And for those of the audience that are critical of Professor Penn, I'm listening to your critique. That's the beautiful thing about this role. I have to think all the time. I'm getting feedback all the time. Wow, that is a blessing of the highest order to be able to receive from the viewers and listeners and read the comments and the, the, the social media that I get. It's, it's very informative, and I'd like you to keep doing it, and I want to thank you for doing it, and I want to thank the people that are clicking the subscribe button and leaving comments on YouTube, because YouTube is not going to help us. We have to help ourselves. We, the American citizens, we must help ourselves. So the comments and the subscribe button clicks and the like clicks, I mean, these are very, very helpful. And I want to thank Gabe again, because he just leaves comment after comment. And I think he knows exactly what he's doing. He's commenting, and he's helping us work with these algorithms, which is very appreciated. Precinctstrategy.com, go there, please, please. Uh, This is one of the most important informational sources that I or you can go explore. Precinctstrategy.com, a tutorial for everything you need to get in the game of politics. Now, we're watching this. We're doing this together. We're in the live chat right now. It's Tuesday night. It's election day. All over the country, all over the country, there are elections. It's an off-year election, but nonetheless, these are important Barometers of where our nation is at today, where the American citizens are at, where our hearts and minds are at, how the media is going to craft a narrative. And it's really um, noteworthy today that over the weekend, the New York Times no conservative rag. The New York Times is no, that's as leftist and as security state as we could get. I mean, the New York Times has relationships with the government. That's where the government goes to to the Times and to the Washington Post. That's where the government goes to disseminate its narrative. And they, they had a poll. They did a national poll. And wouldn't you know it, President Trump, if the election was held today, according to this poll, would win Famously, with 300-plus electoral votes, he's up in all of the swing states, quite significantly up, except for one, that's Wisconsin, a border state here in Minnesota, very leftist population there. President Biden's support is evaporating. The Republican Party is, of course, working against President Trump. Yes, I'll say this again. The Republican Party, the Republican National Committee, is working against President Trump, doing everything it can do to keep Trump from being on the ballot as a Republican nominee, the endorsed candidate for president. They're working against him. They're working against him right here in Minnesota. And you people know who you are if you're watching me. You know how you're walking out into the public smiling and acting like a Republican. But behind the scenes, you people are globalist communist democrats to the max now of course you don't think of yourselves as communist democrats and that's because you're dumb you know i can't fix that being stupid is not something that professor penn can fix now if you would keep coming to the podcasts and let me just say when i label you i do lots of dumb things myself you know one of the things we've gotten into and i do agree with this the labeling thing is no good but if there's always the other side, the yin-yang, if we never confront ourselves in the mirror, look in that mirror and realize how far I am falling short of my aspirations, at least I still have aspirations. Many of you have given up on aspirations. You're just clipping coupons now. Wow. It's the coupon clipper cruise. You know, out there trying to maintain the status quo. When so many of our fellow American citizens are suffering, almost all of us are suffering. But you Republican Rhino Coupon Clippers, you want to make sure that the cash in your hand just continues to accrue and build. You know, you people are materialists. That means you're a Marxist. That means you don't believe in God. Oh, yeah, you go to church. I get it. You go to synagogue. I get it. I get it. You go. But what's on your mind when you go there? You know, there's a great scripture, and it's from the New Testament. For those of you who are Jewish that are watching me, you might want to find this one. It's famous. I know you've probably heard it before. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, you have to make a decision. Do you want to Sit there and count your money or enter the kingdom of heaven. It's very clear. Now, Professor Penn made a choice about this uh, verily, many years ago. And I suffer. I mean, I've really suffered financially. And that's okay. I'm okay with it. Because I have an entree into the spiritual world that I would not have had if I had sold out. What profiteth a man if he gains the entire world and loses his soul in the process? we got to think like this. Now, there are those in the Republican Party. They can't see it. And that's why we, the American people, the American citizens, are going to go to PrecinctStrategy.com, take that tutorial, figure out how to get into the game of politics, and here in Minnesota, what we really need is delegates. That is means That means going to your caucus on February 27th, getting elected to represent your neighborhood, then going to the Senate District Convention, which will be held shortly thereafter, and getting elected to represent your Senate District. And then you will have a seat at the table. You will be able to determine who gets the endorsement for all the different positions in the party, and as elective candidates, candidates for elective office. This is what we need to do as Minnesotans, and from every state in the union, we need to become delegates. And change comes. Change comes. Here's some change. Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. This is some change now. Now, we don't know if it's sustainable change. We don't know if it's optics. But coming out of the gates... When the Speaker demands that the Ukraine funding and the Israel funding are on separate bills, even though the Uni Party wants one omnibus spending bill and the Uni Party wants a clean bill, just give us money, give us money, give us money, give us money, money when we're broke, $34 trillion in debt. And what does Speaker Johnson do? Speaker Johnson, quite courageously, Separates the Ukraine aid from the Israel aid. And then the Israel aid's coming up, and he attached the Israel aid, a reduction in IRS funding by the amount of the Israel aid. It's some 17, 18 billion with the B dollars. B, billion. Big money, right? And of course, you know, the Senate's going nuts. It's dead on arrival. And, you know, the the uh, the Democrats are saying, oh, Israel's so important. How can you do this? This has never been done before. Well, hey, it's quite obvious. If Israel's so important, cut the IRS, assholes. You know? I mean, really, let, what Mike Johnson is doing is he's really stripping away the BS behind which these people hide. Oh, nothing's more important than supporting our ally Israel. Okay, well, the price for support in Israel is less funding for the IRS. It doesn't seem like a big trade-off. Why does it have to be all your way, Tom Emmer and the rest of you uni party hacks here in Minnesota, all of you ex-military bunch of scammers, have no concern about the American people or the suffering of the people in our districts? You just want to see the military continue. Hey. Well, I guess if you're going to do that, you're going to have to cut some funding for the IRS. Now, the Republicans can all get behind that. And now the Democrat side of the UNI party is going to have to deal with it also. Yes, we're going to have cuts. If we're going to fund wars, we're going to have cuts. And the Ukraine issue, wow. Speaker Johnson really is getting into the deep water. He said, you want money for the Ukraine? Great. Secure the border. Otherwise, no money for the Ukraine. So if the Democrat... Cannot stomach defunding the IRS by 17 or 18 billion, cannot stomach a wall. I guess we're done funding these wars. Boo hoo. Boo hoo. Boo hoo. And for the people in my audience that think Israel must be funded under any circumstance, uh, Professor Penn's loyalties are to the American people. The American people. Let me read this to you. Today's uh, episode is titled Superstition. I'm going to read you something very superstitious. This was written by Winston Churchill, and it's alleged he was talking about the Palestinians. Can't prove it, but that's the allegation. But the quote is definitely from Winston Churchill. You'll like this. I, that would be Winston Churchill, do not agree that the dog in a manger, this harkens back to Bethlehem. Let me start again. I do not agree that the dog in a manger has the final right to the manger, even though he may have lain there for a very long time. I do not admit that right. I do not admit, for instance, that a great wrong has been done to the Red Indians of America or the black people of Australia. I do not admit that a wrong has been done to these people by the fact that a stronger race, a higher grade race, a more worldly wise race, to put it that way, has come in and taken their place. That's Winston Churchill. And what that is, is superstition. Superstition. Stevie Wonder's great song. When you believe in things you don't understand, you suffer. And in the case of these British intellectuals who believed in Darwinism, not only did they suffer two world wars and the destruction of their empire, but they've made everybody in the world suffer with this superstitious belief that holds one race superior and another inferior. And I talk to people all the time that still believe it. We've got groups in this world today that are ethno-nationalists, and they are sure that they are genetically superior to all other people, just like the Nazis, just like the German Aryan, the myth of the Aryan uh, Übermensch, the Superman. I want to read it one more time, just because it's so noteworthy. Superstition. I do not agree that the daughter, this is written by the famous Winston Churchill, the defender of, of the empire, the man, the prime minister who led the fight and rallied the world against the Nazis. Basically, we had a throwdown here between two Darwinist groups, the English and the Germans, to see who was the most Darwinist. Hey, I do not agree that the dog in a manger has the final right to that manger, even though he may have lain there for a very long time. I do not admit that right. I do not admit, for instance, that a great wrong has been done to the red Indians of America or the black people of Australia. I do not admit that a wrong has been done to these people by the fact that a stronger race, a higher grade race, a more worldly wise race, to put it in that way, has come in and taken their place. Superstition. Superstition scientism Let's move on past this opening and talk about rumors of war. Ellie, could you play this piece, the Nisralla speech, please?
1: And it wasn't There was a lot riding on this speech from the Hezbollah leader and it wasn't just Lebanon waiting to hear what he said. They see Israel as the enemy and the bombardment of Gaza as a war crime aided by America and the West.
2: I am worried about a war happening and people dying, but if this war is going to free Palestine from Israel and make Israel like fade away, then yes, I guess, no.
1: the head of Hezbollah is a divisive figure, but seen as a hero to his supporters. And he broadcasts from a secret location on giant screens throughout Lebanon because of security concerns. His appearance was accompanied by war videos demonstrating Hezbollah's formidable military force which is backed by Iran, like Hamas and like Hamas considered a terrorist organization by several countries, including America and Britain. But it carries considerable clout in this region. Even in the countdown to his speech, there's been a marked escalation in violence, with Hezbollah mounting multiple strikes inside Israel, including using explosive drones. The Hezbollah leader warned there would be more of the same, much more, much worse. He used his first speech since the October 7 Hamas attacks on Israel to warn America it needs to rein in the Israeli onslaught in Gaza or there will be all-out war.
3: Fear that this could escalate or go into a full war or become a wider regional war is a realistic possibility, and it may happen.
1: Israel's already warned Hezbollah they'll get a response far bigger than these, which were part of the latest escalation but rather one of unimaginable magnitude if it opens a second front. Hassan Nasrallah's supporters are fervent though, lapping up his threats of war. This is just what they wanted to hear, and they're celebrating wildly. They wanted to know that Lebanon was ready to fight to defend Gaza,
3: that they are doing it and it could get worse. We love the uh, people of Gaza, we love
2: the people of Palestine,
3: and we will
0: stand with them in all the catastrophes they are uh, suffering from. And we will fight in front of them, and we will not give up at all.
1: The Hezbollah supporters seem ready for war, even the very young. But the group's leader did distance Hezbollah and Iran from the Hamas attacks, saying they knew nothing about them despite much hype about Hezbollah declaring all-out war on Israel this time there were no explicit plans but plenty of threats enough perhaps to keep his supporters on side for now Alex Crawford Sky News in Beirut Lebanon
0: well the rhetoric is the rhetoric is very interesting to follow and uh, that's the news of the weekend uh, we'll cover what the Ayatollah in Iran had to say on Thursday night broadcast, but Nasrallah is the man on the scene. He is a representative of the Iranians. He's funded by Iran. He's deeply linked to Iran. Hezbollah is a Shiite Muslim group that is a Iranian proxy in the region. They have control of Lebanon. Over a many-decade war, they destroyed the Christian community there, and the Christians really had to immigrate to survive and I have good Lebanese friends, close Lebanese Christian friends that have moved to the West, and they were just run out of there. That would be called ethnic cleansing. So this ethnic cleansing thing, you know, it, it uh, works across both sides of the aisle in the uni party that's, uh, you know, Shia Sunni Jewish. It's a uni party, another uni party, working together, seemingly working against each other, but they're kind of working together too. We'll talk about that more as we go on down the road. I know that's going to piss off some of my pro-Israel viewers and listeners. And there are people that actually think I'm anti-Semitic and anti-Israel, anti-Jewish. No, I'm just talking about history. I will get down to a conclusion for myself. But I'm just reviewing the history from both sides of the football so we know how we got here. Because if we don't know how we got here, how are we going to get anywhere? So Hezbollah, you know, he addressed his adoring fans. I liked how the one young lady said, Israel's just going to fade away. I wonder how that's going to happen. That's almost the, the, um, related to uh, Harari saying, we need to disarm Hamas. I mean, these people just don't really want to say what they mean. Because if they had to say it, they'd have to look in the mirror and confront their superstitions. They don't want to do that. Because these people are living by superstition. Here's some highlights of the speech. These are quotes, of course, translated from, uh, you know, I wonder what they're speaking there. I never even thought about it. Could be Farsi, could be Arabic. I need to listen to it. I'll get back to you on that. But these are the, the the quotes translated into English. We have to be ready and present for all future probabilities. Well, that's pretty milk toast. The attacks on Israel near Lebanon's borders is very big from our side and very important, and it won't be enough for us anyway. In other words, the attacks are going to continue. And in that piece, you saw attacks on Israel by Hezbollah. So there is a northern front developing. Nasrallah says his group is aware that it's taking a risk in the daily border attacks against Israel. Because why? because the U.S. military has come into the region with several aircraft carriers, nuclear submarines, and the U.S. is clearly signaling to the Iranians and their proxies, Hezbollah, that if there's any serious action, the United States is going to get involved. It's called a deterrence. We'll see if it deters anything. Nasrallah says Israel forced a heavy deployment on the border with Lebanon and concomitantly Israel had to deploy its forces so there is a allocation of resources by Hezbollah and Israel into that northern area and Ezralla points out that that's taken away from Israel's power to fight in the Gaza he says that on October 7th the attack on Israel was a purely palestinian decision and no one knew about the Hamas plan. Okay, great, sounds wonderful. I don't believe them. That's just me. Professor Penn does not believe that Hamas was working in a vacuum. Don't think so. Nasrallah says the U.S. is directly responsible for Israeli attacks on Gaza, which plays into what's going on in our country. Nasrallah says Israel will fail in wiping out Hamas as it failed in 2006. He praised the martyrs in Lebanon and elsewhere who are being killed in fighting against Israel. He said that dying in the fight against Israel is the greatest of all things a person can do in their life. Quote, just watch how a fighter advances and places a rocket on an Israeli tank. How can they defeat this land and these type of fighters? And he said that previous and future sacrifices in Gaza, the West Bank, and all fronts are worth it. Now, this was fenced as a non-inflammatory speech in the Western globalist press. I watched it carefully, and I saw it as being very threatening. And Nasrallah was definitely keeping open the option of Hezbollah joining the war in a much more comprehensive way. So we're all sitting around here now, waiting to see who pulls their guns out of their holsters and starts blasting away. So far, there's been a lot of saber rattling, but uh, right now it's Hamas versus the weight of the Israeli military. It's not really a fair fight. And deterrence may be part of it. As I said, the U.S. military has come into the region quite strongly. And our House passed a resolution, listen to this one, that a nuclear Islamic Republic of Iran is not acceptable, number one. That number two, that Iran must not be able to obtain nuclear weapons under any circumstances or conditions. That number three, that the United States would use all means necessary, any means necessary, to prevent Iran from attaining a nuclear weapon, and four, to recognize and support the freedom of actions and partners of allies, partners and allies, specifically and including Israel, to prevent Iran from attaining a nuclear weapon. So, you know, this is uh, kind of a nothing burger, but it was past its deterrence. And the reason why it's a nothing burger is because that's been the policy of the country going back for decades not to allow. Iran to get a nuclear weapon. So, they've they've reinforced it. Uh, The United States of America, we the people, we used nuclear weapons in Japan at the end of World War II. Hiroshima and Nagasaki devastated those two communities. Show of force. Got into an argument with one of my best uh, associates, Mr. Tom, this weekend. I'm going to urge him to go back and look at the video, the episode where we talked about the dropping of those bombs because the entire hierarchy of the U.S. government, from Eisenhower to Curtis LeMay to the secretaries of state, everybody has said ex post facto that it was unnecessary to drop those bombs. So we dropped them, and then we said dropping them is not cool. In other words, we the people are the only group on planet Earth that gets to say who can legitimately have nuclear weapons, and when and if they're going to be dropped. That's kind of a scam, don't you think? That's kind of a scam. Now, while this is going on, the Germans have jumped up and figured out that Germany's on the verge of war, that there could be a war in Europe, and that Germany is completely unprepared. These are the events as we're walking into a deeper and deeper expression of this World War III. Germany, one of the great military powers of human history, is completely disarmed. It was disarmed after World War II. Its military was disbanded. It depends on the West for support. It was not NATO started in 49. Germany was not allowed to join until 55. It does not have much of a military. And the impulse of self-defense the munitions industry, all the things that a country would need to defend itself, Germany has given up. And the defense minister of Germany is freaking out about it. Why? Because the Russians have destroyed the Ukrainians, and nobody knows what's going to happen next. And the Germans have a recollection of four wars with the Russians in recent times. They fought the War of the Austrian Succession from 1740 to 1748. They had the Seven Years' War, Germany versus Russia, 1756 to 1763, World War I, 1914 to 1918, World War II, 1941 to 1945. According to the protocol of the Potsdam Conference, there was to be a complete disarmament and demilitarization of Germany. All aspects of German industry that could be utilized for military purposes were to be dismantled. All German military and paramilitary forces were to be eliminated. And the production of all military hardware in Germany was forbidden. So Germany is not ready to get down. And now they're starting to recognize oh, oh, we can't defend ourselves. And these crazy American firsters are gaining power over the United States. Maybe America's not going to come to our rescue. Maybe we're not. Maybe we're not. That's correct. You better get your shit together. You might want to write that one down, Elya. You might want to put that one down. Give that one a beep. And while all this is going on, I recognized that even though in the last episode we played a very large, and again today, we played this these protests. We played last time this million and a half people in Istanbul, at least that's what the Turkish government reported, it was definitely hundreds of thousands of people. And President Erdogan was, without a question of a doubt, being quite threatening. Well, it was some saber-rattling, because over the weekend what came out was Turkey is preparing a Israeli war crimes case for the Hague's International Criminal Court, another globalist, Uh, institution the International Criminal Court the ICC of which the United States and Israel do not participate so when Turkey is saying hey we're not really gonna attack Israel with military we're going to attack Israel with law well at this point we know that President Erdogan is working for the globalists because the ICC is a globalist institution and the effort of Turkey to bring Israel to the ICC to be prosecuted for war crimes indicates that Turkey is supporting the New World Order. What a surprise. Well, all this is going on, what's, what does it mean to Professor Penn? What does it mean to you? And we know this, but I've got to do this because it's my ass. Please play this clip under Border Wars of Trump, Pelosi, and Schumer talking about the wall during the Trump administration. Trump into that meeting in the Oval Office today with Chuck and Nancy, as he calls them, the Democratic leaders from the Senate and the House. It did not take long for the meeting to fall apart right in front of the cameras, raising voices, interrupting each other. It was quite a scene. President Trump had invited them, and he invited the cameras in as well. The president said there is progress already on building the border wall. Pelosi and Schumer later saying that's not true and the president making it clear today he would be willing to shut down the government right before Christmas if he doesn't get $5 billion for his wall. Jonathan Carl tonight with the drama, right in front of the cameras. For a moment, oh so brief, the president talked about working with Democrats,
3: but then... His border wall and then we have the easy one the wall that'll be the one that will be the easiest of all what do you think Chuck maybe not it's called funding the government <laughs> <Mr. President. laughs> so we're gonna see but I will tell you the wall will get built built we'll see what happens tremendous amounts of wall have already been built tremendous amounts according to the Department of Homeland Security they've actually only repaired or replaced some 31 miles of
0: fence that already existed Now the president wants Congress to pass $5 billion for his border wall by next week, or he'll shut the government down. I think
2: the American people recognize that we must keep government open, that a shutdown is not worth anything, and that you should not have a Trump shutdown. Uh, You have the White House, you You have the Senate, you have the House of Representatives.
3: Pelosi's message to Trump on the wall, you don't have the votes.
2: But there are no votes in the House, a majority of votes, for a wall, no matter where exactly you start. That's exactly
3: right. You don't have it, to if I the needed the, the votes for the wall in the House, I would have them in one session well, would we'll be do done. Go we'll do it. It doesn't help because we need 10 Democrats in no, the Senate.
2: The fact is, you do not have the votes in the House.
3: Nancy, I do. The argument playing out Nancy. before the cameras.
2: This good is idea. the most unfortunate thing. We came in here in good faith, uh, and 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 we're entering into a this kind of an, a discussion in the public view. But it's not bad, us, Nancy. Us,
3: no, uh, no, It's but called but, transparency. Uh, uh, Finally, Schumer forcing the issue. 20 uh, times sure. you have called for, I will shut down the government if I don't get my wool. None of us have you said... You want to know something? You've said okay, it. Okay, you want to put that You've on my... you said it. I'll take it. Okay, okay, good. You know what I'll say? Yes, if we don't get what we want, one way or the other, whether it's through you, through a military, through anything you want to call, I will shut down the government. Okay. That's enough. good. And That's ask... very good.
0: So, you know, this is a little trip down memory lane, 2018. Remember President Trump? He used to be our president. Now he's leading in all the swing states except from Wisconsin. And if the election was held today, he'd get 300 electoral votes. And I'm sitting here in Minnesota, and the Republican Party of Minnesota is trying to submarine him, and the RNC is trying to submarine him. So we have a a political leadership, a uniparty leadership that couldn't care less about what the American people think. That's of no interest because they're globalists. They know better for me than I know for myself. Isn't that nice? And I can trust them. They're such a trustworthy group of people. They're transparent. They tell the truth. They're up front. They don't have hidden agendas. They don't belong to secret societies. They're Americans after all, right? This uniparty group, whoa, they're great. Look at their performance. Why don't we play this piece about the Darien Gap? Now, just a few years later, President Trump was not able to succeed in securing the border. Let's take a look at a couple pieces about what's really going on there today.
3: Darien Gap is the, at the Darien Isthmus, the Panama Isthmus, that little sliver of land between uh, Panama and Colombia, uh, there's no roads there for more than 100 kilometers, about 102, three kilometers. So more than 60 miles, right, no roads. And some of the roughest jungle in the world, really sticky mud, it's got special mud, uh, and, uh, and, and some serious mountains, and, uh, and, and very dangerous rivers, flash floods, it's a rainforest, uh, a lot of biological uh, problems with the various diseases out there. A lot of the migrants die from waterborne diseases. Uh, and many are just washed away in fa- flash floods. Uh, at least 10% are dying going through. And this month, there'll probably be eight or 10,000 go through, which means 800 or 1,000 will probably die this month in the jungle. And almost nobody knows about these. Well, I've been out there, it's true. I uh, took a few congressmen, uh, two congressmen out there recently with Chuck Holton. We took, uh, uh, we took Tom Tiffany and Burgess Owens out there and uh, they actually went to the jungle, extremely courageous, went beyond the edge of everything. The only security was, was us and us, the Indians that we were with and went out and dug out canoes and they saw the, the carnage of the people coming through the Darien Gap. The Darien Gap is the ultimate wall. It's, if you're super fit, you're like Rambo fit and the weather smiles on you, you can get through in four days if you don't get lost, right? Most people take at least seven or more. One guy just took 22, that was abnormally long and he actually survived. But many people just get lost out there because there's no, they, they follow false trails and they just vanish forever. For instance, a, 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 a family asked me yesterday to help them find some of their uh, family that was lost in 2016. Of course, the chance of that are. Very slim. Many of the migrants who are coming up through Mexico actually have to start in South America because they can't start in Mexico. They can't get a visa to Mexico. So they start in three major countries in South America. They start in either Suriname. That's where many of the uh, Cubans and the Haitians go. They go to Suriname because they don't need a visa. And Suriname is that little tiny country in the north part of South America. It's an old Dutch colony. So Dutch is one of the languages. uh, And so they'll go there. And then from there, they'll take a bus to either Brazil or Ecuador and they get up to Colombia and cross. Now, so they'll either go to Suriname, Brazil or Ecuador to begin with, because they, they can get visas on arrival. So let's jump into the Darien Gap side of things first, uh, before we jump into the, to the Europe side. Now, you mentioned a, an incredibly disturbing number, and I just wanted you to kind of qualify this for me. You said that 10% don't make it, 10% going through the Darien Gap die along the way? Explain this to me. How are you getting these numbers? My good friend Chuck Holton, a very experienced war correspondent, we've been down there quite a lot together. In fact, we're going to be back in the Darien Gap in about four days from now. Uh, he puts the number higher. He puts it at one in seven, uh, which would be more like 14%. Uh, how do we get the number? We don't. That's a very good question because we don't know how many go in and we don't know how many come out. So how do you get the answer? Uh, how do we get that estimate? we've talked with many many we've interviewed many many migrants uh just unbelievable numbers so i met this somali woman in tapatula who came through here about six weeks ago And she said i I said did anybody die and she said man there's dead people everywhere i saw all kinds of dead bodies she said people fall off of things they drown they get washed away they die of dysentery just everything and uh, she said there were there were several people who were still still alive, but couldn't go any further. They couldn't walk, and so they were just waiting to die out there. One woman was a big, heavyset woman that couldn't make it up the hill of death, and uh, so she she had been out there. She said for 24 days, people kept feeding her, but she couldn't go back and she couldn't go forward. So she said she was just waiting for God to take her. And we'll ask them how many people did you see die? How many got lost? How many? And it's, it clearly looks like about 10%. For instance, recently one group of 40 went in and 20 died. That was abnormally high. Uh, they got most of them were killed in a flood. Uh, often the floods will sweep away many people at once. There's flash floods out there and they will build their, they'll sleep beside the rivers because it's clear. And then, wow! flash floods, that's pretty severe. Even the Embera Indians that live out there, those are the ones that take Chuck and me out there. Uh, The Embera Indians, even they are running from the flash floods. And so a lot of them fall. Actually, many of the migrants fall. They have to go over three mountains. And that third mountain, they fall off of that one quite a lot. Uh, You saw a video that I sent to you. That was a little rough. That's not as rough as a lot of the places. Many of them drown uh many uh drinking water that's tainted many of the children die many many children like even one two years old pregnant women going through many of those die out there you'll see many children coming in with no uh, parents because the parents died out there and uh in like one haitian man i i, I found him in Bajo chiquito it's a small village way out in the jungle no electricity no phones and i ask if these are his girls He said no their mother almost died and she's in the clinic in the tent actually which was near us and the girls were they looked pretty scared Uh, they were like three and four years old or so and he he said he took both of the girls and helped the mother as much as he could i would say 80 percent of the people that come in have no shoes uh, because they're the mud pulls their shoes off or their shoes aren't good to, to begin with so they got bloody feet And often they're being carried in by some big guy that's still strong enough to do it. Uh, Other people come into Bajo Chiquito village and they die. Many of the migrants, by the way, are also murdered out out in the the gap. They get murdered by bandits out there. And many are are raped. You'll hear many, many stories of women being raped, especially uh, Cuban women. And so uh, huge stories about that. I've published some of them actually on uh, Epoch Times.
0: Thank you. That's the great Michael Jan. You might want to follow him on social media, Michael Jan, Y-O-N. He's a war correspondent, bravery unparalleled, and he's down there broadcasting to us the human tragedy, the superstitions that are involved here. are profound, profound. I'm not going to delve into it. I want all of us to think about it, the superstitions that would lead people to go on a journey, a trek, where 14% of them, maybe as high as 20%, die in transit, child sex trafficking, kidnappings, murders, rapes. And it's so liberal of us, we're encouraging these people to take this journey. And my theory of the cases, and I realize that there are very good cover stories like these people are suffering, we're led to immigrants. We had an entire episode on immigration, several, in fact, detailing the tortured history of immigration. I mean, the United States has been resisting immigrant waves since the first immigrant. (laughs) Think about it. The first Americans, that would be the Native Americans, and they certainly tried to resist. So this whole resistance to immigration and this desire to open for immigration, this has been going on since day one. But in this case, this is different for two reasons. Number one, the Cloward and Piven model of destroying our governance. Cloward and Piven, two Columbia University professors. Shout out to my daughter at Columbia. Please come home. You know, uh, they realized that if you overwhelmed the system with demands, the system would crumble. Barack Hussein Obama, law school professor, student of Columbia Law School. Maybe he got exposed to Cloward and Piven there. And guess what? When you have health care for all and public education for all, and then you have millions and millions of people that come in, oh, that's going to overwhelm the system. That's number one. Number two, as we've watched this last two minutes, you know, there's wide, disparate estimates on this immigration, since President Biden took office. Some as low as 3.5 million, some as high as 15 million. The number 6.5 million seems to be getting a lot of press this past weekend. So I'll just do a little math. 6.5 million, 10% is 650,000. 1% is 65,000. One-tenth of 1% is 6,500 people. And these people are coming from all over the world. They're coming from countries where the populations go in the street and chant death to America. We're in a war. We're in a war with people that are willing to kill civilians. Our border is open. And if one-tenth of one percent, 6,500 people came in who are intent on destruction and murder and mayhem, well, let's just think about what 20 Saudis did on 9-11. So, let's watch this piece and look at how big this surge really is. I know you've seen it, but we've got to leave a marker in the sand about this.
4: Their lives packed on top of a moving freight train known as the Beast, migrants seeking a new beginning over the Mexican border. These mostly from Venezuela, men, women and children, families clambering aboard where they can outside the Mexican town of Arapuato. They're part of a new wave of thousands amid a surge in illegal migration to the US. Sleeping on top of cardboard boxes here, these people had been waiting days next to tracks for an opportunity. Your says, despite the risk we take, I would say we have no alternatives until we reach our destination. Mayala is here too, with her partner and six children. She says, my goal is to be able to get to the United States and enter legally with my family, to have the opportunity to work, for my children to study, learn languages and new things. Large numbers continue to overwhelm officials as they pour into Texas border towns. El Paso is described as at breaking point. More than 8,000 turned up in the city of Eagle Pass this week. The US Homeland Security Secretary visited the president of Honduras in Texas.
2: We are seeing an increase in the number of migrants arriving at our southern border. This is a reflection of the fact that the number of displaced people not only in the entire Western Hemisphere, but globally, is at an historic high. Our immigration system is absolutely
4: broken.
0: This week... No, stop that, please. Thank you. There's Mayorkas, Secretary Mayorkas, who we've covered before, saying the system is broken. Previously, was saying everything is good, but they're getting out in front of it now. And they're saying it's a global problem of mass dislocation. Well, why are people being dislocated? Who's dislocating them? Why are their polities breaking down? And there are those of us who believe that it's quite intentional, it's related to the COVID lockdowns, that their economies have been destroyed, and now we have a U.S. administration, a Democrat administration, that's welcoming these people into the United States. Well, the Democrats, you know, they were the folks that... uh, well, they were the folks out in front of the slave trade, right? I mean, who, were the, who, were, who was the Confederacy? It was the Democrat. Because the Democrat believes in open borders. Free trade. Free trade. Free trade in, at the time of the Confederacy. Free trade in people. That would be called slavery. Free trades in goods and services. Free trade. Free trade. Free. It's free. Well, nothing's for free. There's winners and losers in every transaction. And in this case, with this immigration, well, are these people doctors and lawyers and professors and engineers, nurses? No, these people are poor, poorly educated migrants. If they had something worth staying home for, they wouldn't migrate. They have nothing. And they're coming to our country they really represent kind of a a new slave class or a new dependency class. Slaves slaves are dependent upon the master. People that cannot take care of themselves, they can't generate an income, become dependent on the government. It's the same idea, but a little different. And then, of course, how are the Republicans involved in this? You know, that would be the RNC, the Uni Party. Well, back at the time of the Confederacy, We had two proto-Republican groups. We've talked about it, the Whigs and the Know-Nothings. The Whigs were the precursors of the Republican Party. Abraham Lincoln was a Whig, and they had their Antifa group. That was the Know-Nothings. And these people were viciously and violently opposed to immigration, of Catholics specifically and then later Jews. They were Protestants. They didn't want Catholics coming into this country, or as they'd call them, those that follow the popery. If you ever want to go enjoy a little movie, watch Gangs of New York. Martin Scorsese covers it quite adequately. And there was a deal between the Whigs and the Democrats, and the deal was, you let us keep these Catholics out, and we'll help you manage your slaves. And President Lincoln said, B.S., slavery is an abomination to both the enslaved and the enslaver. And he left the Whigs and formed the Republican Party in 1856. This was an act of Christian virtue because Lincoln believed that slavery was an abomination in a very kind of Christian context. And he wanted America to develop without slavery. And we fought a war, 10% of the country died, and we threw off chattel slavery. But this is a different kind of a slavery, a different kind of dependency, and the same groups involved. That would be the Democrat Party. These people represent human inventory. Human inventory. How are we going to educate these people? How are we going to provide a good life for them? Well, the Uniparty party says, hey, hey, you all want to reindustrialize America? We have to be competitive. Now we got people that aren't citizens. We give them a special status. They don't have to get the minimum wage. You see how uh, unholy this alliance is? And it really goes into the trade in people. You know, free trade is trade in people. You're looking at it here with this migrant surge. It's a trade in people. It's a trade in sex trafficking. It's a trade in modern slavery 2.0. And then there's the trade in goods. And we've talked about, and I want to just come back to it one more time, the post-World War II Democrat liberal order, trade liberalization, the impulse to open borders, to finish goods from other products, has led to the loss of millions and millions of American jobs, millions of American jobs, the degradation of our communities, the loss of the dignity of work, the loss of productivity, the loss of self-organization of our American citizens. And now the Democrat, to be sure that those American citizens become dependent, are letting in millions and millions of people that will just add to the squalor and the dependency and the hopelessness that only government can address through social programs. That's the game, creating dependency, making the government into a god. That's what they're doing. Uh, you know, I know there's a lot of other ways to look at it. There's many street corners. Hey, these people have no place to live. They want aspirations to be Americans. I mean, yes, there's many, but we are American citizens. What about us? What about us? What about the young people that want to have good lives? We need to think these things through as a community because You know, let's just say these polls are right and President Trump, through some miracle, becomes the president again in 2024 and takes office in 2025. Are we going to deport these people? Would be the greatest mass deportations in human history? Certainly since the Nazis. Are we going to do that? Are we going to go down that road? Got a lot to think about here. And let's just get it down to goods. Boundaries. We're boundaryless. We're going to talk about this on Thursday. Laws are boundaries. When you change the laws or you don't enforce the laws and there's no boundaries, well, let's just play this piece. You see this? Michelin closes Ardmore. We'll play it one more time. We played it last time. It's so critical. Tonight,
3: workers at the Goodyear Tire Factory in Fayetteville will wait another day to find out if union leaders in the company can come to an agreement or if they'll go on strike. Union leaders say there has been significant progress on wages and benefits for workers, but they say there's more work to be done. Today, hundreds of
0: employees waited for a 6 p.m. deadline and made sure they were heard. They say it's about getting fair treatment for the work they've been putting in over the years. It is what it is. That's the best I can say about it. Um, hopefully we'll get some kind of contract. But if not, then we'll be out here holding the line, just trying to see if uh, we can stay out long enough, which I will personally. Well, it's a nervousness, you know, we're just waiting to uh, find out something so we know if our jobs are secure or not you know, within a short period of time. We're ready to go back to work, but we we'll won't get a contract straightened out. You know?
3: Union negotiators return to the bargaining table with the company tomorrow. Workers say they are ready
0: for either outcome. Okay, let's just play this, please, at the bottom. Michelin closes Ardmore, please. 1,400 Oklahomans
3: will lose their jobs after Michelin announced plans to wind down tire production at its Ardmore industrial site. Michelin says they're doing this because the site is not equipped to deliver tires at a low enough cost. They said that they will be done making tires in Ardmore by the end of 2025. And tonight we are hearing from several lawmakers about this, including Oklahoma U.S. Senator Mark Wayne Mullen. He says that he has been in immediate contact with Ardmore officials, that Ardmore Chamber of Commerce, and is ready to help anyone impacted by the closure. Mullen said that his team will soon be on the ground to meet with local officials there to connect with workers, as well as connect them with federal employment resources and also discuss economic impact and
0: recovery. Thank you. This is Senator Mark Wayne Mullen. Again, I said this last time, no conversation about trying to save this plant, just about retraining people. This is the same Senator Mark Wayne Mullen that was so quick to throw shade on Representative Congressman Matt Gates, alleging that he was involved in all kinds of unseemly and morally lacking behaviors as a representative. Mark Wayne Mullen claimed he knew Gates, and Gates came out and said, I haven't met this guy before. Well, he's clearly a globalist, and we need to go to work on him. He's, You know, you don't even know where to start. I mean, when you wade into this group of, this cast of characters, this cast of cats, of conmen, conmen, neocons, neocons, conmen, that lie to the American people, We just can start at A and go to Z. We just don't have that many people we can look up to. And that's why I'm asking you to be a delegate. That's why I'm asking you to take 24 hours a year and vet out the candidates that your party endorses to run. Listen to them. Be engaged. We can change this. Thank you for supporting truth-seeking media. Go to freepeopleradio.com. You can support us there. Thank you. And TireGet.com, TireGet.com, an e-commerce online retailer. TireGet, we're self-financed here with TireGet. You have to buy tires. You buy them from TireGet. You support this movement and this broadcast and this Free People Radio channel. But what's great about it is the price is right. It's all the major brand tires, all the low-cost tires. And when you buy them, the price is right, and I'm going to ship them. Right to the local dealer in your backyard, you pay Target twenty-five dollars per wheel for service. That means mounting, balancing a new valve stem, and disposing of your old tire. And you make an appointment online on Target. You've paid Target for the service. You've paid Target for the tires. You show up at your local dealer at your appointed time. They put the tires on. It's cashless, and you're out the door. It's easy. It's problem free. And if you have a problem or question, you call Target or you email Target, and you might get to talk to Professor Penn. And I look forward to meeting you, and I want to thank you for supporting us because the work we're doing is really important. we gotta, we got to sell soap. we got to stay on air. That's how we do it. Everybody in, in conservative media and alternative media is doing this. We're just trying to do it without selling out. We're not trying to get rich. We're trying to expand the movement, so thank you for the support. Now, I want to talk about a Mossad asset. We're going to get serious here for the last half hour. When I say a Mossad asset, there is a man whose name is Mossab Hussein Yosef. Mossab Hussein Yosef uh, was born in Gaza, or possibly the West Bank, I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming. Please forgive me but he was born in the Palestinian territories, that I know for sure, and he is the son of the founder of Hamas. Let me say this again. He is the son of the founder of Hamas. He is charismatic in a very Palestinian way. I've made the comment, I've been friends with many Palestinians in my lifetime. They're very educated people, and they're very charismatic, and they have a lot of energy, and this guy embodies that, Palestinian ethos, beautifully. And uh, if you go online, you can find him. I'm going to say it again. Mossab Hussein Yosef. He's appearing on Fox News. He's appearing everywhere now. He is clearly a security state asset. He flipped at some point in his life and went from being a member of Hamas to being in league with the Mossad as a secret agent. And he is reputed to have foiled many terrorist plots by giving information to the Mossad, that's the Israeli CIA, their Secret Service, their spooks. He's a spook. That does not mean his message is invalid. It just means he's a spook. We have to keep that in the top of our mind. He's going to reflect something to us that needs to be seen. Can you play this piece, 243 Mossab? Hussein Youssef. Human Rights Council. The
2: occupying power continues with its colonial uh, policy and its daily violations. It continues to abuse, to arbitrary detain, uh, to carry out ethnic cleansing, uh, steal uh, land and natural resources, uproot trees, uh, steal money, Israeli activity to Judaize uh, Jerusalem, uh, demolition of homes, uh, confiscation of land and property, spoiling of natural
1: resources.
3: Racist violations perpetrated by Israel. Israel continues
2: to commit various forms of human rights violations in Palestine. Israel, the occupying power, is advancing in its efforts of mass colonization and continued apartheid, put an end to this colonialist regime.
4: The apartheid, atrocities, and massive destruction inflicted on the Palestinian people.
2: War crimes, crimes against humanity, ethnic cleansing, and state terror. Thank you, United Nations Watch. Shukran Sayyid Rais. I take the floor on behalf of the UN Watch. My name is Musab Hassan Youssef. I grew up in Ramallah as a member of Hamas. I address the words to the Palestinian Authority, which claims to be the sole legitimate representative of the Palestinian people. I ask, where does your legitimacy come from? The Palestinian people did not elect you, and they did not appoint you to represent them. You are self-appointed. Your accountability is not to your own people, this is evidenced by your own total violation for their human rights. In fact, the Palestinian individual and their human development is the least of your concerns. You kidnap Palestinian students from campus and torture them in your jails. You torture your political rivals. The suffering of the Palestinian people is the outcome of your selfish political interest. You are the greatest enemy of the Palestinian people. If Israel did not exist, you would have no one to, to blame. Take responsibility for the outcome of your own actions. You fan the flames of conflict to maintain your abusive power. Finally, you use this platform to mislead the international community, to mislead the Palestinian society, to believe that Israel is responsible for the problems you create. Thank you.
0: Council members are stunned. Palestinian delegation doesn't know what to do. You know, I play this with a certain amount of trepidation because I've researched and spent a lot of time looking at this man's life, and he was a spy for the Israelis. His father was the founder of Hamas. So you've got that kind of a Freudian conflict between father and son. And uh, I... I Looked at a lot of his material, and uh, he's what uh, Royce White first referred to, first time I heard it, as a Judeo Buddhist. He's very uh, new world order in his understanding of this conflict. His point as a spy, you know, as a propagandist for the Israelis, and he is, but that doesn't mean his message is invalid. It just means we have to know where he's coming from and whose p- payroll he's on. And he may have thrown off all restraints because obviously for him to stand up and do this, this man is risking his life to be the son of the founder of Hamas and to flip. takes a lot of bravery. He's crazy or he's brave or he's both. And he's committed and, and he's very articulate. And I urge you to go online on YouTube and watch interviews and speeches that he gives. Mossab, that's M O S A B, Hussein Yosef. Like Joseph, like one of the sons of Jacob. Yosef, Y O U S E F. Mossab Hussein Yosef. And what I want you to find is his rhetoric. His rhetoric, his, his speeches, his body of work, he's very direct about why he flipped. And it really comes down to the central issues that I'm dealing with and that I hope you're going to deal with or that you are dealing with. And that is the idea of faith and doubt. And this is a problem that we have to sort through as individuals. If I'm going to have the faith of a mustard seed such that I'm going to cast a mountain into the sea, I'm going to be giving up certain judgments that I hold about my own person. There's a superstitious trap in this. And what Mossab Hussein Yosef is saying is that the belief of Islam, the blind faith of Islam, leads to suicide bombers. And he says... Putting the ideals, their ideals, before the lives of the people, the ideals before human life. That's superstition. Superstition. That's one side of the equation. When you put your ideals before human life, hey, life becomes cheap. On the other hand, if you give up your character, human life is not worth very much. See, all of these things require balance. And what Yosef has Stated quite publicly is that he prefers Western doubt, the doubt of the West and the democracy of the West, to the totalitarian organization around faith. He prefers it because he believes, or he says he believes, that that is better for human development and for the development of the Palestinian people. It's a beautiful argument, and it really makes me think about my own. Desire to be more faithful, more believing, and how that works in the doubt. And maybe it's because of my age, the time I put in. To me, it's very simple. I have absolute faith in God, and I doubt myself. I have faith in God, and I question myself. And as we get older and we're on this faith walk, we become better and better at understanding god's will for us and resolving the doubts we have about ourselves by how giving up our addiction to sin and rage and revenge which is clearly so much a part of this conflict rage wrath according to the christian tradition or the catholic tradition and it's based on the Jewish tradition that it's linked to, wrath is a deadly sin to be avoided. So what this man is saying is that actions that come out of revenge, out of wrath, are not well balanced and do not lead to a healthy and well society for the Palestinian people. And how can we disagree with that statement? That statement is absolutely true. Absolutely true. And at the same time, the desire to exact revenge, as Prime Minister Netanyahu evoked by raising the idea of the Amalek and to not forget the Amalek and to talk about killing every single Hamas fighter, this is also wrathful and rageful. So we've got two tribal groups engaged in a death struggle driven by revenge. Or, as we said in the Old Testament, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Or, as Nasrallah reminded us, for every Palestinian citizen that dies, Israeli citizens will die. Innocence, the murder and slaughter of the innocents out of rage and revenge. So, we know, we know that this is not good. We know it. And we're faced with a challenge to our sensibility and to our intellect. As we've talked about on recent shows, it's a kind of a Gordian knot, hard to work through it. And one of the solutions is kill them all. Let's play this last piece, Elia, uh, the short, the last short with Mossab Hussein Yosef.
2: You will be defeated. You never cared for the Palestinian people. Instead, you hijacked their cause and their struggle. Your useless effort has always been to destroy Israel, not to build a Palestinian nation. Your fight was always driven by revenge, not justice. You risked the lives of defenseless civilians who entrusted you to govern them not to use them as human shields. You lived in luxury while the refugees of Gaza starved. You valued your ideals more than you valued human life. You governed Gazans by fear and intimidation. You cultivated wealth as Gazans drowned in poverty and despair. Finally, you gambled with children's blood. Hence, you will certainly be defeated, buried along with your delusions in the tunnels you yourselves have dug.
0: Delusions, superstitions. When we live by superstitions, when we live by things we don't understand, we suffer. And we bring suffering to the people around us. So it's incumbent upon us, the American citizens, to seek together truth. The truth that's informed by traditions that go back thousands of years. These are the very truths that the Uniparty seek to unmoor us from. When we seek these truths, we become self-sufficient. We become self-governing. Therefore, it is the goal of our governance and our governors to unmoor us from the past, to educate us in a way that makes us dependent, to dumb us down, to make us unable to pursue our human worth, our human value. And this is what we're doing in Free People Radio in this community. We want every American citizen, every single one, And I recognize this as idealism, but if no one will be idealistic, if every person is realistic, what a hell we're going to find ourselves in. In every generation, there are idealists who pull the discourse and the dialogue away from depravity. We must hold true to the ideals, and we're going to talk about them on Thursday night, the rules, the boundaries. Which give us human worth and protect us and provide human well being, we must do that. Because when we don't, we end up with these Gordian knots where people give over to depravity, to superstition, as if killing every Hamas fighter is going to end this conflict. Ethnic cleansing and genocide do not create. A healthier world. We know that because we just lived through it under the Nazi regime. And the world is not healthier. The world is not a better place. The world is not a more faithful and a more self governing place because of the slaughter of the innocents for any reason. And this brings me to my closing monologue today. This is a community process. I do listen to everyone that I am involved with politically when it's one-on-one, and I read as much of the social media as I can, and I respond to as much as I can, and I look at the comments. And when I get a a, a viewer listener like Sphinx Chat, who's riding on me like I'm a horse, um, critical of my presentation about Israel, and I understand he's a firm supporter of Israel, and I know many people like that, and I don't know if he's Jewish, or I don't know if he's a man or woman, I just know that he's or she is very angry at me because I'm presenting both sides of this equation. And I think it's incumbent upon all of us to listen, to not move quickly when things become incomprehensible. This kind of violence, this kind of hate and revenge is relatively incomprehensible if you're not part of those tribal traditions. Now, I am part of that tribal tradition, and I do understand it. I'll tell you a funny story. I used to, uh, well, you know, Professor Penn was not always gray-haired. Like many of you, there was a time when I was strapping and young, and for a thrill, I'd fight to the death. That's what it was because, you know, that could happen. And I was uh, in a basement one afternoon uh, fighting, full contact fighting with a Palestinian. We had gloves on and, you know, it wasn't intended to be deadly. And uh, I got hit really hard and got rocked. And uh, generally speaking, when you're training and someone gets rocked, People back off. But in this case, this guy jumped on me and was really hurting me. I mean, he was hurting me very bad. And I looked at his eyes because I was trying to defend myself and I was getting taking a real ass-kicking, and his eyes were red, just red. And I said, hey, 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 stop. You know, I was trying to survive. I was bargaining. And he came to and came back into reality, and I said, man, What the hell was that? And he goes, oh, I'm so sorry. For a minute there, I just saw you as a Jew. Whoa. So when I tell you I know about this stuff, I do. I barely survived that one. I listen to all these people, communicate, all the people that try to, and you're welcome, please, leave a comment, send a social media post. I really want to know what you think because we're forming a community. We do not want to live in a world where the America is perpetually at war and we're funding and supporting tribal violence all over the world. It's just no way for for us to live as American citizens. It's unnecessary. But there's an individual uh, psychological process that's involved in this for every single person on the planet. Where are we at intellectually? And I know there are people, I mean, I've had them in the live chat, they go, oh, Professor Penn's a pacifist. That's not true. It's just not true. I'd like to say it was true. It's just not true. What I am is a person who understands violence, and uh, I'm choosing not to be violent uh, physically, emotionally, or intellectually. I look in the in the chats. People say I'm very peaceful. Uh, not always. Recently, I'm becoming more peaceful, and uh, I, too, went through a long period of antagonism and conflict that I've been trying to resolve, and how do I resolve it? Through prayer, through study, and through charity, the traditional way. You know, I'm not uh, going to a psychologist. I'm not on drugs, and if you are, that's a more modern way, and I'm not saying it's an invalid way. All of us need to pursue a psychological becoming. If we think we're perfect, well, we've kind of fallen into superstition, haven't we? I want to believe in God, and I want to continuously question myself as I give up my addiction to sin. And when I give up my addiction to sin, and those of you who would like to study this, Go to Google and put in the seven deadly sins and see which one of them you're addicted to. And we start working on it and working on it because this is just the human condition, trying to extricate ourselves from these sinful traps. And why are they here? If you believe that there's a God, why would God create an opportunity to be separated from God? Because sin means separation. And that's because I have to choose I have to choose with dogged determination my relationship with God instead of the enjoyment of sin. And I like being mad. I have people that tell me in my life, I enjoy conflict. And if I was completely honest, I do. I'm so goofy. I like getting hit. I know that sounds strange to some of you. But for those of you that have done a lot of fighting you know that there are some of us out there that enjoy getting hit. We just enjoy it, feels good. That's how goofy I am. Doesn't mean I want to get hit anymore. I don't want to do it I've come to that point. But there was a long period in my life where such things were of great interest to me, and I still have people in my life that say I like conflict. And I have to say to those people, hey, if you're out there on the field of play trying to do something there's going to be some conflict I'm not afraid of it I'm not seeking it those of you that have been in with me and following the Professor Penn podcast know that what I'm trying to do is create harmony that's why we play music on here so often because harmony is preferable to disharmony harmony is well-being disharmony can mean disease. When we hear things that are disharmonious, we're uneasy. Why do we want to be uneasy? Uneasiness leads to disease. That's disease. We're either at ease or we're diseased. We have to make a choice. So on this issue of uh, Israel and the Palestinians, just to be completely unambiguous about it, My first principle is what's good for the American people. We're broke, and we can't afford to fund wars. The only people that are coming out on this in our society are the merchants of death, the purveyors of weapons. And those people are the heart of the problem because they don't care about the well-being of the people. They care about turning over their inventory and getting funded for more inventory. This I cannot abide. This has to end. I do not want to support and I think the America First movement has to be about converting American society from a governance that is based on military superiority superiority, to a governance that's based on moral authority. We need to make that transition. and People are going to say that's impossible. No, it's not. It's not impossible. That's a cognitive distortion. If I can think about it, it's possible. And where there's a will, there's a way. So my will is to move America, the country I love, away from a dependence on military authority to a governance that's dependent on moral authority. And moral authority is based on human well-being. That's number one. Number two, because we're broke and we're going to suffer here with that financial instability, I am a strong supporter of whatever money is spent, there has to be cuts. And ultimately, I don't want to spend any money except on improving the lives of American citizens. I'm not an internationalist. I think that's a scam. That's globalism. We have this in our head that that's the way it's supposed to be. That's brainwashing. We can have our own country, bring our jobs back by creating our own industry here, and develop our own Native American culture. Extricate ourselves from the colonial empire of the British, which we inherited after World War II. Second point. Third point. Both the Palestinians and the Israelis completely suck. They suck. I don't care what street corner you get on. You look at the other street corner, and there's a catalog of crimes there that go back 100 years. Both sides are responsible for this mess. Both sides people say well what do you want to do well i'm going to do something that's very simple and i want to just ask all of you to do it with me let's pray and demand peace where's the conversation for peace talks you hear anything about peace talks in the ukraine how about peace talks over in uh israel palestine you know we can be very aware of the reality of the situation very aware and maintain our focus on peace. I am going to maintain my focus on peace. I'm going to thank God for keeping peace in my mind, peace in my heart, because guess what? The billions and billions of people on this planet, we have a vote. It's called our human will. And if we have a will for peace as the American people, it will be peace that we ensue. If we have a will for war and vengeance like our neocons, like the Mark Levins of the world, the Dennis Prager's of the world, the Ben Shapiro's of the world that are seeking a military victory as if killing is a victory, self-defense, self-defense is necessary. And this is why this is such a Gordian knot. Israel was violated. They have the right of self-defense. We're going to talk more about this. There's balance here we need to find. We as the American people need to demand balance. We need to demand peace. What do these words mean? Well, this is a process. We're in a process of communicating with each other. We're seeking political positions and philosophies that are good for the American people. We're seeking them together. So for those of the audience that think that there's an answer, like an answer is going to emerge, like it came down off a holy mountain, well, let's hope it does. In the meantime, we have to grapple with the issues and decide what we're going to do as American people. Like self-defense, right? We've let millions of untracked, undocumented people into our country in the middle of a war. Self-defense would mean having boundaries and borders, starting in my own personal life and then expanding into our communal life. Because when we believe things that aren't true, for example, that unfettered immigration is good, that's a superstition we're going to suffer. So let's go out with superstition. This guy is great. His name is Sean Mundy, and this guy is a master. Let's enjoy him together I look forward to seeing you on Thursday night and thank you very much for joining.
3: Just a